Every one of us has this great gift, uh, which is the gift of being a human, and being a human means we have free will. Uh, whether we exercise it or not is to do with this habituated past, you know, impressions in our mind that keep us repeating the past. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I am your host, Rosie Acosta, yoga teacher and teacher trainer, mindfulness coach, speaker, and creative writer. I am also the founder of radicallyloved.com, a website where you can go for more information about yoga, mindfulness, meditation, and lifestyle advice. On this podcast, we talk to people within our health and wellness community that are creating content through the ritualistic practice of yoga, meditation, or overall mindful living. We hope to create value in your life so that you can achieve your highest potential and live a radically loved life. To stay in touch with us, just follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rosie Acosta and on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie. You can sign up for our newsletter on radicallyloved.com to stay up to date on future workshops, retreats, and latest podcasts. What's up, fam? Who else has tried FabFitFun? If you don't already know about it, it's a seasonal box with full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. The box I received was so epic. Truth be told, I've been a subscriber for a long time, and when we partnered up, I totally fangirled out and admitted to them that I had been a subscriber for years. Each season's box features a variety of amazing quality brands like Tarte, Kate Somerville, Anthropology, Free People, Dr. Brandt, and that's just the beginning of it. So don't miss out because they sell out fast. Check out www.fabfitfun.com and use the code radical. That's R-A-D-I-C-A-L. So you can save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. Again, that's fabfitfun.com and use the code radical. You deserve to treat yourself. Steve Griffith is the director and founder of Sukhavati Ayurvedic Retreat and Spa. Steve's passion is to assist the growth of individual potential toward greater success, enhancing mental and physical well-being to maximize results in business, sport, and life. His focus being on executive development, incorporating health and well-being, leadership, corporate change, and cross-functional team building. But what excited me the most is that he's been studying yoga and meditation since the 70s, and was a longtime student of His Holiness Maharishi Mahishyogi, whom was the Beatles' meditation teacher. So as you can imagine, I spent several hours picking this man's brain, and we would have breakfast together and dinners while me and my girls were on a Panchakarma retreat in Bali, which was amazing. And we were really able to talk about a couple of different important topics that I feel we're facing culturally today, and I'm so excited to share his insight and his wisdom. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Here is Steve Griffith. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Radically Loved Radio podcast. Uh, I'm so excited for a very special on-location podcast. We are in Bali, Indonesia. Steve, welcome. Wonderful to be here and wonderful to be radically loved. Yeah, right? I mean, this is this is part of what I think everybody needs to just really uh, embody and understand, right? It's this idea of what radically loved is and how this is such a vital thing for us in our everyday life, right? To right. feel that radical love. Which is interesting uh, because obviously that's a big variable sometimes. <laughs> that's true, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I suppose that's an inner experience of our own self. Uh, yeah. So we're kind of focusing on how we're resonating in that experience is sort of where I come from, but um, obviously it would be wonderful to have everyone around us radically <laughs> loving us. Uh, but, yes, the world is as we are. Yeah, that's right. Mm. I And I, I think that just to give the listeners a little bit of background uh, on you and 
where your school of thought comes from uh, because you're an incredible world of knowledge. We're here at Sukhavati and this is your center and we've had a couple of days together already. We've had such great conversations and you've already taught us so much and I'm hoping that we can even just share just a little just a little thread of that knowledge to everybody that's listening to this podcast. Well, I'd love to share that with your listeners. Um, yeah, so here, Sukhavati uh, Ayurvedic Retreat is uh, the byproduct of many, many years of really focusing in on the whole aspect of Vedic knowledge and yoga. And so it's so pragmatic and practical. So there's many parts to that, but uh, I became a meditation teacher 40 years ago and um, so that's the journey um, but you know personally I mean very fortunate to have had the learning that I can apply in my own daily life over that period of time and then feel the real joy of teaching others to meditate predominantly so my thing is really that aspect of yoga which is settling the mind but mostly this aspect of meditation within that context so ayurveda very big important component of the evolution and development of the body and so sukhavati is of course a ayurvedic center predominantly in panchakarma set in a beautiful vedic you know island of bali yeah yes and for the people that are listening, um, what Steve is not sharing is that he comes from a very uh, knowledgeable lineage of His Holiness Ma- Maharishi. Yes, yes. So Maharishi was my teacher. Um, his teacher was Gurudev, and there's a long, you know, history. He was the Shankaracharya in India, but. Maharishi himself brought meditation to the West in 1959. I learnt in 1976. Um, so, <laughs> um, so then, but Maharishi was great because he really, uh, he himself was a science graduate at Allahabad University. And uh, when he really became a disciple of his teacher, um, really, really, was fully immersed in that whole aspect of Vedic knowledge under Mm -hmm. his teacher. But then when he came to the West, he was able to give it meditation and understanding that the West could really follow, which was really science-based. So Mm -hmm. the West is very analytical, very skeptical of, uh, you know, religion and philosophy outside their traditional learnings of Christianity, etc. But what he explained was none of this knowledge was anything to do with religion. You know, it was really centered on the core understanding of how to develop self, how to develop human potential, how to live the highest value of your own self. And that was practical knowledge. But to put it in context of giving people a clearer understanding of that, he had to put meditation under the microscope of modern science. So when I meditate, what actually happens? You know, it, right. it's, it's, it's not like all of a sudden I'm, I'm experiencing peace or why is it that I change? And it's really because when you meditate, you kind of experience this essence of reducing mental activity the mind as we all know can be completely crazy and so when you settle the mind down in meditation you experience that inner stillness Uh, but really the key there is that the body drops into a state of very very deep rest which you can measure so metabolic rate oxygen consumption in sleep it decreases by eight to twelve percent but in meditation it decreases by 24 percent so you're deeply rested and that reboots the whole autoimmune system to repair and remove uh, the stress in the body so it's interesting because what we're doing is that we're changing the physiology through settling the mind. So he had to try and get modern science to try and verify what was actually happening 
in that subjective experience, which really for thousands of years had been described in a language which was more beautiful than modern science, uh, but not necessarily analytically explained. Yeah, and I, I feel like meditation and yoga and these ancient spiritual practices have really uh, experienced, we've really experienced a resurgence of them um, especially in, in the West. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I find fascinating is how much the science is always left out of it, right? And I feel like the more that we can explain the science to people or, or even understand the science ourselves, we can then create a sustainable practice that is is substantial that we we are then drawn to do on a daily basis well, i think that's a really great comment because i think that um because human beings are so addicted to the activity of life you know the senses are drawn into the world we desire things want things want to achieve things to give us an ultimate sense of self-satisfaction of who we are but of course, as we know, that doesn't quite work. I mean, you can do that and it's fulfilling for a period of time, but there's still always a feeling that there's something missing. And so the yoga aspect of the teaching was that you had to dive inward, you know, to develop that within yourself. But what did that really mean? You know, how do you create inner contentment or create this experience? Now, there's a number of ways of describing it but ultimately if we see the obstacles to that experience as being more the what now is termed stress mm -hmm. uh, but I mean that was coined by Dr. Hans Sedier back in the 40s of, but he stole it from the engineers you know he took stress as being pressure that causes some physical structural damage so applied to the physiology that was that the in the world there's no stress what is in the world is just whatever there is going on around us and how you interpret that but of course if I interpret an experience in a way that worries me then the brain of course transforms that thought of worry or anxiety into a chemical which then builds up in the nervous system as what we then refer to as an imbalance but that stress so stress is chemical imbalances or neurological imbalances that uh, really remove the experience of that sense of who I am being ease or content and so, right you know so essentially what you're saying is our stress is all in our head well, it it start, yeah. <laughs> well, well, it's the world is as you are. So I mean, how I interpret an event. So, you know, but you know, something happened yesterday, and it was stressful. Now, if we take the concept of be here now, then being here today, I shouldn't be thinking about that. You know. But what that event yesterday happened to me where I got upset or someone disturbed me, and I'm still thinking about it today. So I'm activating the brain's uh, chemical responses and producing that stress again every time I think about that event, that thought. So we hang on to things. So the stress continues well and truly beyond the event. So it starts with the mind. But then the deposit of that stress is actually in the physiology. So when I decide to change, I then have to realize that the stress is now in the body and it's no longer in the mind, but now the body is affecting my mind. Mm -hmm. So I can't sleep or I wake up feeling tired or... I'm very short or I'm not as loving and as sweet as I used to be or, you know, whatever my behavior is, is I can go, well, th my work is the cause of that or my relationship is the cause of that or my children, whatever. 
blame game I want to play and then become the victim of all of that or realize that physiologically and neurologically over a period of time I've just my nervous system is not functioning at its highest level Mm -hmm. and that's causing my mind to not function at its highest level so meditation is to change the physiology to change the mind but I'm using the mind to change the physiology very interesting oh my goodness you're gonna have to explain that a little bit more because it's so, i think it's it, it, it's such a in-depth uh statement because if we're then using our mind to get ourselves out of that stressful state to then transcend the mind it's it's it can be a little bit tricky right <laughs> well <laughs> to say the least yeah no well what what it means is that what we all are trying to do is change ourselves mentally, right. you know, because that's where the source of the power of the mind is. But what is affecting people is the mind. But actually it's influenced deeply by the past experiences that are now creating imbalances in the physiology. So, for example, if I have high levels of cortisol, which is a byproduct of different experiences and thoughts, I'm now anxious, mm-hmm. right? So I think, oh, I'm anxious because of work. But actually, the cause of my anxiety is my chemical imbalance of too much cortisol. So I, I focus the problem externally. Now, all meditation is, is that if I just settle the mind and allow the body to go into that state of deep rest, it automatically removes that cortisol. So then when I come out, I'm kind of experiencing the world differently. I'm not trying to be different. I'm not trying to be more positive. I'm just reacting to the world differently. So when we meditate, it changes the root cause of my mental anxiety, which is actually stress in my physiology that's built up over a lifetime. You know, it's built up over many, many years gradually. Yeah. What do you say to people that you come across because you work with a lot of people um, as a teacher, as a a mentor, as uh, a guru, who, what do you say to the people that are having a hard time with making that mental shift? Maybe let me restructure the question. Does it take more than just the intention to begin to change the mind no i think the intention is really significant you know but sometimes our addictions and habits and past routines which also um hardwire the brain uh into really a neurological patterning which uh is keeping us in the past so i wake up every day I've slept overnight, I've experienced the sleep state, Um, I wake up and in theory I should be able to have different intentions and thoughts. It's a new day, I've got the possibility to think another new 80,000 thoughts in my day that are different to yesterday. Do I? No. I wake up and absolutely worry about the same things, get upset with the same people, drive to work the same day. And in there, I have an intent to do something differently. But I'm really a byproduct of my past. So how do I break free from that conditioning? You know, that what was a conscious choice at some point to do something, but now has become an unconscious habit. Mm -hmm. What I eat, what I drink, what I do, my routine. So there's quite a lot of First of all, rewiring, you know, which is intention. I've got to, you know, change my routine or I've got to, you know, I learn to meditate but I don't do it or Mm -hmm. I, you know, know I should go to yoga but I don't or whatever it might be. So there's that intention which is sort of coupled with what is actually my word to myself. So we call it integrity. So when I say something to myself that I'm going to do it, so last night I said, tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and meditate. I'm going to 
you know, go for a swim. I'm going to go to yoga. And then I wake up and I've got this little thought that says, you said, and I've got this other little thought that says, bugger off. I'm not doing that. I'm tired. I'm, I can't get out of bed. I'm all of that. Right. So the intention's there, uh, but it takes really a lot of initial will to rewire. So I have to repeat an action for a long period of time before I've created a new habituated habit, which is also rewiring the brain. Yeah. But if I meditate, if I learn to meditate, some, that happens like really quickly. So when I meditate, immediately I get more energy. Immediately I find that I'm able to think more clearly. So then I've got more willpower. And then I'm more interested in how I'm going to feel after I do something than how I feel now. So we should never go with our moods. We should always go with how we feel after. We capture that. So if I get up and I go, oh, I can't meditate. Oh, I can't do yoga because I've got to get to this and I've got to do that. But then we stop and we do it. And then afterwards we think, oh, wow, I feel so much better. We've got to capture that. So... You know, it's like developing any new routine or what we might call even a word discipline, which no one loves these days. But, you know, a discipline creates freedom. So if I discipline myself to practices that put myself in a higher self, then, you know, I'm free of anxiety. I'm sleeping better. I'm not reacting to the environment. I'm not getting up. Now, that's freedom. There is no freedom in anxiety. There's no freedom in fear. There's no freedom in being tired. There's no freedom in being, you know, not your higher self. So we create ritual routines, meditate, yoga, whatever the thing is that is your thing or that you know that actually works, then do that and then go into the world and you be a better version of your own self. But you have to put yourself in that routine. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just a matter of doing it, which is can, some, can be very challenging for some people if they have the patterning of not doing it. Absolutely. And that takes, you know, I mean, theoretically, they say it takes 120 days now to rewire a new habit. Oh, really? 120 days? So how many months is that? Three <gasps> or more, four months. Four months. Yeah. So if somebody started to meditate today and this was part of their new ritual, their new routine, in, in four months it would, it would be natural. Uh, well, the, the technique that, that we teach is really so easy and effortless that they get it from day one, but still their old habits and routines are there. Um, but at least because they feel better so quickly within a week, they're motivated to do it, but still it'll take, you know, at least three or four months for that to become a life practice, right. you know, routine. One of the things that we discussed when we did our one-on-one -on -one, um, was the importance of uh, tradition and the importance of mm. uh, studying with a teacher mm. and being mm. able to... Um, gain knowledge from somebody who has a little bit more knowledge than you, right? <laughs> that's the way I see it anyway. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I mean, I think that um, there is, I think we also talked about going back to, uh, I mean, there are many teachers today that are inspiring, Yeah, you know, and there are many people out there doing a lot of good things. I think there are two things with that. One is that we're applying a practice that is working you know, the, the techniques that we have of the meditation, um, that where that comes from. I mean, the technique that I learned originally, of course, with Maharishi, Maharishi's no longer here. You know, he's left planet Earth. and But the, the teaching is still perpetuated in different, you know, people. Um, I mean, he systematized a teaching that allowed people to teach that so that at least people could have an experience within themselves that evolved their own learning and knowledge, and then they can learn from traditional texts and things like that. 
But it is, I mean, very important to have teachers that are living that reality. Otherwise, you know, it's, it can be perhaps lacking authenticity or the teaching is too personalized within their own ego or something yeah. like that, you know, so. How do you know when you're studying with somebody that is worthy of being studied with? <laughs> well, I think that's a good question. Um, I mean, from my perspective, it it's certainly in the the realm of Vedic knowledge, then they must have that grounding in the traditional teachings of that those texts and that knowledge. I mean, if you go back in time, you know, thousands of years ago, of course, that's a whole different experience because the Vedic knowledge is traditionally um, coming from what they call cognition. So um, they call it Shruti and Smriti. One is... I hear, experience, and am one with that knowledge, which is not from a teacher in the external context of a book, or it's actually where they connected directly with cosmic intelligence and pure consciousness, and that evolved through them and with them. So that wasn't a text or a book. That was really direct cognition of knowledge, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other story, yeah. by the way. That's we won't the go next there. podcast. We won't go there. But um, so those teachers were the ones that brought out a lot of that early Vedic knowledge in all of the texts, which was really based on such incredible purity and such incredible depth of really nothing to do with uh, anything more than the knowledge that every human being needs as part of their evolutionary development. Um, so it was like the textbook for being a human. Right. You know, if you wanted to do, uh, become the higher version of our own self, that was, that was, the, that was the textbook. <sighs> that was the textbook. Organifi is an organic superfood supplement line that makes quality trusted nutrition convenient and accessible. As a yoga and meditation teacher and as a holistic health coach, I frequently get asked by students and listeners, is there a good supplement to help with stress and aid sleep? And for many of us, we can go days without getting good sleep and this can become so frustrating because it affects your entire day. Americans are spending $50 billion a year on sleeping pills. And the irony is that those pills don't let you get the rejuvenation and the rest that you actually need. So one of my favorite products to use from Organifi is Organifi Gold. It helps in so many ways. It helps sleep, it helps soothe muscles, and helps support joints. And for somebody that travels a lot, like myself, this is definitely my go-to travel supplement. Many of you have seen me post about it on social media, and I love that it's packed with superfoods for sleep and relaxation, like ginger, maximum strength turmeric, reishi mushrooms, lemon balm, turkey tail mushroom, cinnamon, and coconut milk. It's super easy to use. The way I like to drink it is with hot water, and I drink it like a warm cup of tea, and I use it as my nighttime ritual. Reducing stress and getting sound sleep are some of the absolute best things that you can do for your health. And that's exactly why Organifi created Organifi Gold. So to try Organifi Gold and all the other amazing Organifi products, go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com and use the code ROSIE. R-O-S-I-E, and receive 20% off your entire order. Or you can simply go to the show notes on this podcast and click the Organifi.com link. And now back to our show. So I'm curious uh, to hear your perspective on this whole idea of where we are culturally in everything in our daily life is about putting information in, right? We're getting constant downloads on advertising and, and input on our phones mm. and everywhere. And back in the day, it used to be billboards and commercials. And we 
we got to choose when we turned the television on, when we turned it off, but now we have a little tiny television in our pocket that we carry around and we're just, we've, we don't even know what it feels like to be bored anymore because we're just constantly feeding that part mm -hmm. of us of, of just content and information. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, what is your perspective on that? And if you think that we're doomed? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's just the nature, you know, life is a, the, the, we're 14 point, what, 8 billion years into our evolution of the universe. And so, you know, the advent of technology and that is really an interesting one because it's the discovery of the finer and finer levels of creation. So um, what happened was that modern science has gone deeper and deeper into the material level, like electromagnetism, gravitational, and all of that knowledge has delivered everything that you're talking about. So it's kind of using the mind to study nature at its most subtlest level, uh, which really is amazing from that perspective because it's also discovered you know the quantum field and it's discovered the unified field so it's given us all of that but it's also given us an understanding that that within nature we can go to the subtlest level and atomic nuclear is incredibly powerful but the ancient scientists of this knowledge knew that and they were delving into this knowledge, you know, five, 10,000 years ago uh, to understand really this experience of the mind at this level. So they knew that the objective world had these subtle levels, uh, but it wasn't worth studying that because if you studied your own self and you were able to unfold that human potential within you, then you would know all of that anyway. Um, but in that process, the important thing was how to manage your own mind. So the whole of yoga and the whole of this knowledge was that even back then they knew without technology, but still people couldn't manage their own mind. Mm -hmm. So it this is just another version of another right. story. I mean, so wars, violence, you know, um, the inability to be at peace or content is, is, is not a modern time event. It's just a, uh, it, it's an ageless experience of the humanness of a being. So when we learn, so we have to learn to go within. So we need meditation. It's not you know, an optional extra on the human journey. It's kind of that was the learning to take the mind in. And then when you are doing that repeatedly over and over and over and over again, because it's the repetition of that that evolves the silence into the permanent experience of being active. So I'm in the world, my body is active, but my mind is now eternally in that state. That's the evolution. So then it wouldn't matter what technology there is. It wouldn't matter mm. what is bombarding me. I'm not, I, I'm, I've maintained that inner ability for my own mind to be at rest. Mm. Now, so that's a, one perspective of it. I mean, in terms of the, for the, for those of us that are really addicted to technology, that, which is the majority of the population, um, then, of course, it becomes even more necessary to switch off, you know, because what it's created is intense anxiety, anxiety over what someone says on Facebook, on, you know, Instagram, you know. So we're seeing a, a really sad onset of people presenting themselves as being something and then, you know, a year later, their followers find out that they're depressed or commit suicide. You know, there's a big disconnect between yeah. yes. where I am internally and what's going on, Excellent. what I'm presenting. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think there's a lot of pressure for people to be something really than just to be themselves. 
And so that's why meditation needs to be taught in schools. Um, there needs to be a really serious look at it from governments that, you know, this is going to prevent mental illness, it's going to prevent disease, it's going to, you know, you know in Bali, I think there are now 10,000 students meditating here, you know, because the government supports that, that journey. Um, why can't that be in America? You know, I mean, there are, you know, a lot of really great organizations doing work like the David Lynch Foundation in America mm -hmm. doing, having students learn in, uh, you know, depressed areas of America. But so I think the answer is not ever going to be, you're never going to stop this kind of ever increasing, you know, kind of movement of technology. You just have to learn to manage your own mind and know that um, you've got to create rhythm, which means that you at least find 20 minutes twice a day to kind of switch off. You know, that's all you need from a meditation point of view. And as you know, my little favorite <laughs> thing of going to bed early. Right. Um, no, I love and, that. Can you Can you speak to that a little bit more and how important that is? Well, you know, what happens is that if we don't, like, you know, over the years, you know, I've taught thousands and thousands of people to meditate and every week talk to hundreds and hundreds of people. And when, you know, every question that I ever get in a large audience is I can't sleep, you know, or I wake up feeling tired. And so, or if someone comes to me with genuine psychosis or any deeply inflicted mental disorder, it always has a history of not sleeping, you know. So there's always, you know, now that may have its source in trauma, it may have its source in stress, but not being able to sleep is really a problem. So, you know, that is really important. So we need to go to bed earlier because the hours before midnight are more restful, um, it's good to get up early, you know, really early. <laughs> uh, but um, like before the sun, sunrise. Or, or yeah, at, at sunrise is sort of the time when the sun is giving you the most kind of, right. you know, good energy. You hear that night owls. <laughs> but, you know, we're addicted to staying up late because that has its own charm you know, because we're so busy that there's sort of like silence at night mm -hmm. and peace unless you're watching TV. Or, or Netflix or on something. Netflix, yeah, yeah, Netflix. We've got to, you know, that's that's an addiction. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, but you've got to have that little bit of, you know, how am I going to feel tomorrow, you know, right. and you've kind of got to go, you know what, some people say to me, but Steve, I love staying up late. And I go, but how do you feel in the morning? I feel terrible. Okay, so how can you love getting up early? How can you love going to bed? And you can only get there when you feel really great by having a different routine. So sleep's important. There's a whole kind of psychology around that. But, you know, then you just add meditation, you know, 20 minutes twice a day go to bed a few nights early. Yes, I'm not trying to kind of stop everyone from out there from partying and having a good time. Uh, but, you know, it's like there's a – the little things add up to something amazing. And I look back over the period. I would never have thought, you know, that I – you know, you never think you're going to be 60 or you never think you're going to be 50 or like when you're 20, like that's just – you're only in the moment. But it's the little things that add up, the little habits over a long period of time that add up to something amazing, you know, and that's the that's the journey. Oh, I love that so much. I think that's something so important that I have, even for me, that I've been practicing as long as I have, I still have to remember, remind myself that it's important. I, I don't actually know what I would be like if I didn't do my practice in the morning. <laughs> like I don't, I'm afraid to see who that person is because I just, I, I know what it feels like to do it. Yeah. 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 You're a better version of yourself every day. Yeah. But the thing is that, 
we never go back when we're practicing these techniques. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, but you have little moments where you have some extra challenge in your life or pressure. And um, see, there are no shortcuts on this. Everyone's trying to do a shortcut. Yeah. And um, if we really want to develop this full unfoldment of mind, body, heart and spirit, which ultimately leads to resilience, I'm resilient under pressure. I'm resilient when things go wrong. I'm, I don't go below the line. I don't get upset and negative. I'm, you know, I'm looking at solutions rather than looking at negativity and problems. So I'm, I'm solution minded, and I'm, you know, positive. And that's what ultimately is delivered from all of this stuff. You know, it's practical. This is not about not being in the world. This is about being totally in the world and being the best version of yourself to create whatever you want to create in the world. It's not about doing these practices to escape from all of this stuff. It's about actually being able to be in the world and having this stuff not in any way create within you anything but happiness and joy and positivity. And that's that's the birthright. So, you know, we create our world. It's like we create our story in our mind and then we walk in. So you're the director and producer of your own show, your life, <laughs> right. right? And so, you know, you walk into your life but you created it, right? right? So if you walk into it and you're not happy with it, well, then stop and re-script it you know, do something different, like change it. But everything that you get in your life is directly and absolutely 100% created either consciously or unconsciously. And so what we have to become is more conscious about what we want and really remove the unconscious aspects of doing that creates the things that we think we don't want. How does that conscious awareness play into our desires for example, like career aspirations or spiritual pursuits and that kind of thing. How does those desires? Yeah, like how how does our how how do we consciously um, pursue our our dharma? I guess is the question. <laughs> is that a big question? No, no, no. I mean, obviously, we intuitively know that there are some things that you know some people are lucky enough to just know what they want to do and 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 that becomes their career in life mm -hmm. others of us are, are really searching for something which is beyond obviously making uh, money to survive because it may not have the purpose or the you know the meaning that we feel that we would like to have mm -hmm. so that's a challenge um, but everyone of us has this great gift, uh, which is the gift of being a human. And being a human means we have free will. Uh, whether we exercise it or not is to do with this habituated past, you know, impressions in our mind that keep us repeating the past. But the power of thought is such that um, to have a desire, it's important for that to be fulfilled if it's life-supporting. If it's not life-supporting, then we, we have to change that. But if we want to manifest something in the real world physically, which is what we do all the time, regardless of whether we're doing it consciously, we're still manifesting. It just may not be what we actually want, mm -hmm. which means that we haven't really got clear mm, um, yeah. about our intention of what we want and we don't believe it. So we lack the emotional connection of the belief because of our past habituated, um, you know, disappointments or letdowns or whatever that something's possible. But again, meditation is a powerhouse of increasing the uh, kind of the energy around a thought. And as long as you can in your conscious mind get clear 
so people call it visioning or goal setting or mm-hmm. you know um, any kind of version of that story. But most people one day want to be an apple and the next day want to be a banana and the next day want to be a pineapple. So, you know, like the mind becomes confused. Right. So if you're in a state of confusion, no positive outcome can take place. Right. That makes sense. So one, you've got to be settled in a good state. Then you've got to create within your own mind exactly what you want to create and then hang on to that. You know, mm. don't let that go. And then the only thing that stands between you and the manifestation of that is time. That's the only thing, just time. All right? So so patience would be the key. Well, patience and determination and perseverance. Yeah. Yeah, and that goes for the spiritual practice as well. Yeah. You know, you don't just give up after six months or a year. This is a lifetime practice. Right. Um, what happens if if that comes in for people where they're doing everything, they've listened to this podcast and they're really inspired by everything that you're saying and they've incorporated meditation as part of their daily ritual and they've gotten clear on what they want to create and it's six months in and nothing's happening? Impossible. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, no, no. It, it, things Steve are... just dropped the mic. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, that that can't not happen, all right? So th- they must be doing something not completely right in the practice, <laughs> all right? So maybe the okay. teacher needs changing or the technique needs changing oh, or okay. the, the process needs changing or, you know, uh, so... You know, it's like definitely, um, look, with all the teaching, you know, it's interesting because it's like there's many ways to get from, say, New York to Chicago, right? Uh, So you could walk, you could catch a train, you could get a bus or you could fly. Now, eventually you'll get there, right? But you want to make sure that you're utilizing the right techniques and the right processes. And if you do that, then you'll probably get there a lot quicker. So, you know, obviously from that point of view, learning, you know, meditation techniques that work. Right. (laughs) But then, you know, a lot of people learn and don't apply them because they're too busy or they're too much on Netflix or whatever. (laughs) I'm like, dude. Are you looking into my life right now? No, 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 no. You're, you're, a, you're a practicing yogi. You're, you're kind of got it together. Look, we're all dysfunctional to varying degrees. Right. We're just moving in the direction of full functionality. Oh, I love that. So until you're enlightened, you're all, we're dysfunctional. So in, to degrees, you know. So, um, you know, everything is evolving, you know, in the world. But with what we're talking about, you can speed up that evolution incredibly. So six months in correct practice, new you, definitely not old you. Wow. So, yeah, so if we talk about love, um, ultimately this concept of radical love, I use a slightly different term, which is universal love or universal bliss. So, I mean, in life, we're all looking for love, but we're looking for it in something, in someone. And when we realize that love is the absolute source of our own nature, then it can never be isolated towards one person or different aspects of that because what it means is that we begin to experience love as a universal expression of everything. So um, when I suppose on my journey, what you feel is that that is there all the time within me and outside of me in terms of my experience. So I think that for me radically loved is feeling trust you know, feeling that the universe is organizing and that everything will, you know, take place without worry and anxiety and fear. Um, So that's one part of it. What do you radically love? 
I radically love the opportunity to share the knowledge and teach and gain enormous personal fulfillment because we all do things to a large extent for our own benefit still. So it, the reality is that by doing what I do, I benefit enormously uh, from the experience of teaching others. So that allows me to grow and develop and change and learn more quickly than if I was not doing that. So I radically love, uh, you know, being here at Sukhavati and invite everyone to come and join me um, and, and really experience the opportunity to learn more of this knowledge and realize that that journey is for them, uh, that they can begin to apply that in their own life and experience that more and more for themselves without having to look for that from anyone outside themselves. Steve, thank you so much. This has been so incredible and I just want to take a moment to thank you for inviting me and Sahara and Tara and Allison to be here in this beautiful resort. It's been such an incredible experience and I am so excited for everybody listening to at least one time have the same experience in, in their life. Um, so thank you so much for all of your My knowledge, pleasure. for all of the work that you put into this place and for sharing your time with us. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Well done. Powerful You is coming to Los Angeles. Finally, I'm so excited. This three-day transformative event brings world-renowned influencers, visionaries, and entrepreneurs directly to the LA area. So get ready, LA. And if you're not in LA, you must come. We've got some incredible people speaking, many who have been guests on this podcast. We've got Lisa Bilyeu, Lori Harder, Glennon Doyle, and... I get to be speaking at this event, which is still hard for me to believe. I'm so excited. It's May 17th through the 19th. Get your tickets at powerful-u.com or you can go to the show notes of this podcast and go directly to the link to get your tickets now. This event will sell out and I really hope that you treat yourself and get an opportunity to come to this amazing event. So I'll see you soon. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this, so please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.